Welcome to the OT lifestyle movement. This is for the occupational therapy visionaries and the ones who see things differently. We're moving our profession forward through living and leading a truly holistic lifestyle. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the OT lifestyle movement podcast. I'm Rhiannon Crisp, occupational therapist, personal trainer, and founder of otlifestylemovement.com. Today, I am super excited to be speaking with an occupational therapy student who I met on Instagram. And if you hang out there too, you have probably seen her around the traps. Alaska Hindry is a final year occupational therapy student from Sydney, Australia. Her journey to becoming an occupational therapist has not been typical. Alaska had her daughter in her third year of her degree and remained determined to finish. She is now in her seventh year of university after completing a few years part-time. As well as running her own side business, Alaska is a paediatric allied health assistant and hopes to remain employed in the paediatric sector upon graduating. Welcome, Alaska. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) So awesome to have you here. You are our first student. I haven't interviewed a student before. What an honor. (laughs) Yeah, and it's upon popular request. So uh, there must be some OT students out there. And, you know, even for supervisors or clinic owners, this this would be really valuable. So I'm excited to get your insights and, and find out what's happening in the life of a student in 2022. I'm excited. Let's get into it. <laughs> so first, we hit the rewind button. So we'd love to know a little bit about your story and how you got into OT. How, what fascinated you? What drew you to it? How did you find out about it? Because it's not something that most kids kind of grow up wanting to be. Um, so yeah, that's, what's your story? Well, my journey with occupational therapy began probably about 10 years ago now. Um, I was in year 10 and back then, I don't know if they still do it now, but we had to do a one-week community work placement in year 10 in order to get our year 10 certificate. Um, And I think back then I wanted, as a 16-year-old wants to be, I was wanting to be a fashion designer or something like that. Um, (laughs) Where I live, unfortunately, there's no fashion designers, so I couldn't do my community work placement with a fashion designer. Um, But I was sitting at my brother's soccer train with my mum talking about how stressed I was because I had no idea where I wanted to do my work placement or anything and a mum turned around from soccer training and she said that I could come and do it with her and I just said yeah I don't know what you do but I need somewhere to go so sure Um, and she said that she was an occupational therapist I had absolutely no idea what that was so I googled it I still had no idea what it was because as we know the definition of OT can be a little bit confusing if you've never been um, you know if you've never experienced it before Um, So I said, yes, whatever, I needed somewhere to go. Um, And I actually loved it. So I spent a week with her. She was predominantly a school-based occupational therapist. And instantly I knew that I absolutely wanted to do this when I've left school. Um, So fast forward, my HSC came along. I didn't get entry into OT. I didn't get the marks for it, but persevered. And I still ended up in the degree and I'm still here (laughs) seven years later. So still doing it, but I'm so determined to finish. Um, and I'm about six months away from graduating. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> I'm I'm interested to know what you did in your school based placement or not placement um, work experience. Well, what I actually, interested you so much. I I think back now, and obviously with all of the knowledge and theory I have now, 
it's a lot more interesting. Um, but at the time, I actually, I spent the first few days, I was like, wow, this is really boring. This lady just watches people do handwriting all day. Like, this is a really boring job. And now I look back at it and there's so many more components to what she was doing. Um, but I think one of the most interesting parts of it was we went to a local disability school and my brother is on the spectrum. Um, and I just absolutely loved working with the children, um, you know, the children that had disabilities at the local school. And I think that's what really interests me is I just, I found it really comfortable and really natural. And my, um, the lady that I was with even said that I was clearly quite a natural at, um, you know, communicating and engaging with the kids. So yeah, I don't know. I just was really drawn to it. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Like it was such a Timing was so important there, like for you to be at this soccer match, for this lady to turn around and say, hey, I overheard your conversation, come to. Yeah, no, definitely. She's recently (laughs) actually contacted me and said that she'd be happy to have me back uh, after I've graduated. And, you know, that was 10 years ago now. So she's followed my journey and she's seen me have a, you know, my child and persevere and everything. So I thought that was really nice that even back, you know, as a 16-year-old, she saw a little bit of potential in me. So yeah, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's dive into how you're finding the degree. So you're now in your seventh year mm-hmm. at university. Yep. Um, and as you said before, you kind of did it the hard way to get into it. You didn't get into uni straight away. Oh, I didn't. Um, yeah. And so you've had you haven't had the easiest start to get no, into No, not exactly. Um, yeah, my ATAR was not high enough to get direct entry into occupational therapy. So I started in a Bachelor of Health Science and had to work pretty hard for that year to get um, the marks required to transfer into OT. Um, so I was very excited when I got that offer to enrol. Um, and yes, had my daughter in my third year of my degree. So two and a half years ago now. So I've done a few years part-time and a little bit hickly pickly and all over the place, but yeah, getting very close to finishing. Yeah. And how are you finding the degree? Like, is it what you expected? Honestly, it's probably harder than what I expected. I know the curriculums have changed a lot since um, COVID's come around, but I was really surprised with how intense human anatomy units were. I was definitely not prepared for that. Um, But overall, it's been a really enjoyable degree. It's been pretty much exactly how I imagined it would be, apart from the big disruption of COVID and transitioning online for a couple of years. Um, OT is typically an on-campus unit. There was traditionally not any online units offered, so moving online has been really hard and hard to adapt to. But yeah, overall, the degree's been really, really good. I definitely recommend it to mm. anyone else thinking of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because I think I do see a lot of posts where people are putting out there, you know, is it something that I should um, really invest in? Really, it's an investment when you go to study something because it's something that you do for a long time after and you have to pay back all your uni fees, your school fees. Um, what would you say to someone who's, contemplating studying OT um, from from what you've done so far in your studies because I think when you get into a degree sometimes it's it's not what you imagine it to be and I, I mean if I reflect on my own journey through university I know there, there felt like such a heavy focus on communication and models of occupational therapy and at the time I can honestly say that 
I felt like there wasn't a lot a lot of relevance. I was like, how is these things relevant? I just want to learn how to be an OT. Like, how, like what's what do we actually do? Like, even throughout my studies, I was still trying to figure out what we did as an occupational therapist. And I feel like even now to this day, it's very hard to reduce OT down to an elevator pitch or to 125 words or less. We are, we're so much more than that. We are so diverse. We encompass so much. And I think that can sometimes cloud and confuse the possibilities and, and what we can do. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's definitely really hard to um, describe what an OT is. I still, I still can't do it, to be honest, without going into a whole five-minute spiel about you know, examples, and this is what we do in rehab, and this is what we do in peds, and you know that sort of thing. I still don't think my family um, know what <laughs> what I'm studying. <laughs> to be honest, I've explained it so many times, but yeah, definitely, I guess. And you're right about um, yeah that a lot of the degree doesn't feel relevant, especially the first two years. You're doing a lot of units in common with paramedicine and physio and Chinese medicine and exercise physiology. We all do the same core units. So they're not really OT specific, which I found it really hard to remain motivated because I want to learn about OT. I didn't want to learn about, you know, neuroanatomy. It's just not the area that I'm interested in. Um, but you do have to just persevere. I think it's for the first two years that you do your core units that are, um, that are done with all of the other professions. And then after those two years, then you start diving into more specific occupational therapy um, units, which I found a lot more interesting. But yeah, still, I find there was, yeah, a lot of theory and models and you're expected to know so many, you know, all of the models for your assignments and then you get to placement or, you know, I'm an allied health assistant um, and find that I'm not really applying everything that I've learned to practice, but it's just such a diverse degree that I feel that they have to cover all areas that it's just going, yeah, it's impossible to make it specific to your area because they have to cover everything. Mm. Yeah. What, what I love about what you've done and what you've grown through your Instagram is that you're sharing a lot of what you've learned. And I find a lot of OTs and a lot of students from around the world in different, in different degrees are doing the same thing. And it's a way to kind of not validate your learning, but to put it out there so you can learn. Like they say, when, when you teach, you learn. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I've learned so much just from my little post that I do on Instagram. And that's initially what I created the account for. It was just to keep myself accountable. And when they were, you know, I was sitting sit in class and find that there was a topic that I didn't completely understand. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to go make an Instagram post because I'd have to research the whole topic and reteach myself and then put it in a format that's readable for others. Um, and I found I've, I've learned so much information from just creating my Instagram post. So, yeah, you're right. You do learn a lot more when you're teaching others, I find. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And what's your Instagram? Just shout out so everyone knows where to find you. <laughs> it's Alaska underscore OT, A-L-A-S-K-A-H underscore OT. Awesome. Awesome. So what are you loving most about the degree? Let's talk about what you're loving, what you're finding challenging. I would say I have enjoyed how many classes and like such a large variety of classes that were given the opportunity to study. Like we're given um, classes from geriatrics to paediatrics to palliative care to workplace ergonomics. Um, I've really enjoyed learning 
about all aspects and areas of OT and it's definitely helped um, solidify my decision that I want to work in paediatrics. I really enjoyed my paediatric unit. Um, so it's probably my favourite part is how broad that the degree is, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I 100% agree. You know, it's the diversity and the scope. And I think even 13 years later, so I've I've been out for 13 years and I still find myself learning and dreaming about the possibilities and the potential of oh, our profession. Yeah. And it's such an evolving profession. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's a quite new profession as well. Um, I love that it's just completely evolving. I love that there's such a focus now on like moving online and um, the possibility for entrepreneurship and online courses and I just love how yeah it's just like a never-ending degree you think you've learned all the areas and then something else pops up and you're completely surprised yeah yeah and yeah you're right it is that degree and it is that profession that can take you across the lifespan you know I never I work in pediatrics but I never ever intended to work in this in fact I specifically put pediatrics you know how you we used to I don't know if you still do but we used to be able to have preferences for placements and I'd always put peds at the bottom so I didn't get one peds placement um and that was very strategic like I did not I did not want to work in peds um so I did everything else and it's funny like a few years out of uni I got this opportunity to work in a rural area at a school a special development school and then I was just like oh my gosh this is so much fun so I think too like not having any preconceived ideas about this is what I'm going to do and I did like I was like I'm going to work in a hospital and I did for my first year and then I was like oh my gosh I'm not enjoying this as much as I thought I would so even thinking you know what you want to do just being open to the possibilities and that we have a beautiful profession where you can get out and you can go work in community or you can work in a hospital or you can work with animals out on a farm, um, you know, seeing kids with disability. You can, there's so, so much. I mean, if you can dream it, you can do it almost, you know, as, as long as you're not doing heart surgery or something. Like, Very <laughs> true. Yeah, no, how lucky are we that we're in a profession where you can literally, I know people that do surfing, I know people that, um you know, provide therapy through martial arts. It's just, yeah, if, yeah, exactly. If you can dream it, you can probably relate it to the scope of occupational therapy. And how lucky is that? Like, what more could you want in a profession, really? Like, you're not stuck in the same area for the whole profession. You don't have to go retrain or anything. Um, really lucky. Yeah. 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 And I think that's what differentiates us between other health professionals you know we don't focus just on movement we yeah, don't focus totally. just on yeah we don't focus just on speech we focus on doing like what people do in their everyday lives you know their occupations and if you think about what people do it could be fishing it could be riding in race cars it could be whatever parachuting out of like planes yeah. and you know it's how can we help people engage in these meaningful activities potentially after they've had an injury or an accident or maybe they were born with a um, uh, born with something um, that prevents them from doing the things that they want to do. So, yeah. Yeah, so true. And I think that's why it's so hard to explain what an occupational therapist is because I could literally sit here all day and talk about all of the different areas that we can go into. And I know the sole, you know, our sole job is the same. It's to 
assist people in engaging in their occupations. But when you explain that to someone, they're like, oh, so you help people get jobs. Or, you know, when you say occupation, it's just, I'll think of a spill one day, I think, <laughs> to be <laughs> my family and friends. But I think it's going to take me a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all righty. What about the challenging part? What have you found most challenging in your degree? Personally, for me, definitely placement. Um, definitely, I think because I have so many roles and responsibilities outside of university that doing placement has been really, really hard for me. Um, but yeah, I'll get talk me it. through that. Yeah. Talk, talk us through that. Why is that? Well, you have to do a thousand hours. Um, so that is, that's equivalent to 26 working weeks and it's unpaid, um, though it is broken up throughout the year. So um, I did six weeks last year and I'm about to do six, uh, 16 weeks in July. Um, I think it's really hard to go from being a student where your schedule's all over the place and you're in a class at this time and then you're working at, you know, your part-time job at the night. Um, it's really hard to transition to like a nine to five, Monday to Friday sort of job. Um, really exhausting. Um, and we are expected to do quite a lot in, you know, we're marked on our performance um, and if we're meeting the criteria. So it's a fantastic learning opportunity. And I think I've learned more on my placements than I have in my entire journey at university. There's n like practical experience is really irreplaceable, um, but it's definitely the hardest, uh, specifically the fact that it's unpaid, you know, so you're having to save up in advance for your placements and it can be quite stressful. So, yeah. So 26 weeks. Yeah. So I know... The curriculum changes between unis but um yeah 26 weeks to be a registered occupational therapist you have to have completed a thousand hours and that can include a research project which kind of um, makes it a little bit easier but yeah most of that is clinical placement yeah wow and yep. so ha I, do you know what i i can't even remember how many weeks but i swear we only did like four weeks like one of our or maybe yeah. our big prac was eight weeks but it wasn't like I honestly don't remember but it wasn't that intense that's just yeah it's a, a lot, lot of hours it is a lot yeah like I'm about to complete four months of placement coming up so wow. just thinking of the benefits I'm going to I know I'm going to learn so much and that's between two different workplaces so hopefully mm -hmm. they're really different caseloads um but yes very very hard yeah worth, worth it very yeah, worth. yeah absolutely and like you said this is there is nothing like the real life environment. And I think we know this as OTs, you know, we can, um, you know, talk to someone and, and get as much background information as we like. But as soon as we see that person in their real life environment, in the context in which they function, whether that at, that's at home or in the community when they're getting on the bus, when we see that and when we observe that and when we're immersed in that, we gather so much more richness of information oh for sure yeah and I think the same will be definitely in placements yeah. scenario when you're actually there and you're in the doing right it's again it comes back to occupation like when you know so many of us learn through doing we learn through the hands-on approach we learn through stuffing up and going oh that didn't work not going to do that again <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah it was definitely a shock my first placement in my first year it was in um, a rehab, like public health. Um, you chucked right in there. You chucked right into the self-care assessments and things that I've never seen before. Um, but, yeah, such a learning opportunity. And I still to this day just think, wow, I learned so much on my first two-week placement. Um, even now I 
reflect back on it and it was just yeah a really fantastic experience so mm. placement's great hard but really great mm. and I think too when we think about like if I take my memory back and jump in that time machine back to placements and back to uni I remember learning like rote learning manual muscle testing range of movement origin insertion of muscles and tendons and all that sort of stuff and I think when you get out into the real world when you get out into placement you know if it was for me like as a supervisor I wouldn't care so much if you don't know the origin and the insertion of that muscle and how it works what I care about is do you have the problem solving skills to figure it out you know and we live in this resource rich environment where we can jump on we can access articles we can jump on google and search something yeah Um, it's so true yeah so being resourceful is so important um and i think too not not over preparing like I, i don't think you need to um prepare so much i think it's more yeah just being resourceful like can you can you solve a problem and that's what that's what OT is all about yeah for sure and even like active listening is so important like if you can just listen to a patient you know our profession is client-centered so you need to be listening to the patient listening to their stories and listening to their wants and what they value um, most of all I think that's the biggest thing you can do on placement is just be listening and listening to your client and willing to learn um I'll be honest my human anatomy units I think I got a 50 for one, I scraped a pass. And then for the other one, I think I got a 53. So I'm shocking at human anatomy. Um, but I, I thrive in a clinical setting and within practice. Like I love love the experience of listening to the clients and using your problem-solving skills to, you know, help a client in every day because, you know, you can read all the textbooks you want, but a person is not, a, you know, the same as a case study in a textbook and everyone's lives are variable. Um yeah, so placement's just completely different, completely different to what you learn at uni. Mm, I love that you said that so much. I think you've totally nailed it. And, um, you know, going back to that active listening, like though, they're the soft skills, right? So there are soft skills and there are hard skills. And the soft skills are those skills of empathy. Can mm. we listen without judgment? Can we take the time in this fast-paced environment to really understand what a person's needs are? Because it's so, I think it's so easy. Like you get your you get your list of clients you have to see for the day and you churn through them and it's just like another day, another dollar. But when you really, when you really value the work that you do and you really see that other person who's sitting across from you as a real human being who has a real problem and has come to see you in all their vulnerability, you know, at a point in their life when they've got a problem and they can't figure it out for themselves. Um, you know, it takes a special person like an occupational therapist to listen and not every, not every health profession listens like we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely there to listen, definitely problem solve. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, all righty, what are your best tips for preparing for placement? I would have to say my biggest tip, very cliche, but meal prepping. Um, I don't know if interesting. You've, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever had to buy food at a hospital cafeteria, but it costs a bomb. And while you're already not being paid, um, personally, I can't afford to be buying food from a cafe every day at a hospital. Um, 
yeah, so you don't want to be relying on buying your food. I like to do a big batch of um, pre-prepared meals before I go on placement and freeze them. Um, so then, you know, you can come home from placement as well and have a healthy meal. I've got obviously my daughter to feed and my husband works nights. So um, having a healthy meal is really important for me. I know I can't function if I'm just eating junk food. I feel sick and, you know, I've got brain fog and everything. So uh, preparing your meals and just packing your lunch every day um, and saving for placement in advance. You know, you're not being paid for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And then you chuck in, you know, if you're at a hospital, you probably have to pay for parking, tolls. Everyone knows how expensive fuel is at the moment. So you're chucking in fuel. You can be placed up to two hours away from home, um, including traffic. Um, and then I think another one of my must-dos on placement is to carry around a notebook and a pen um, so you can write questions down as you... Um, think of them um, and pick your supervisor's brain. Um, it's not always appropriate to be asking questions, especially if it's related to a client. You don't want to be asking personal questions in front of the client. So buy a notebook and a pen um, and be prepared to write down all, every, all your thoughts during the day. Write it down on a piece of paper. Love it. Really practical, really <laughs> practical advice. Yeah. I love that. And I think, yeah, on your last point, in terms of writing notes down, I think that's that's really important in terms of being inquisitive and asking why, like not being afraid to ask your supervisor why, like why, 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 why this, why is this happening, why do I do this, you know, because I think this is where we develop that clinical reasoning. We yep. might suggest something or we might think of an, uh, an intervention idea but unless we really have that sounding board with our supervisor to go, yeah, is this the right track? Am I on the right path? And then they might say something and you say, why? And, and just pull on that thread and just ask a little bit more. And don't feel like you need to know it all. Don't feel like you need to have the answers. Because even now, 13 years out, like I don't have all the answers. I never do. Um, and it's different for each client. Like every client has their own history, has their own narrative, has their own problems. Even though they might come in with the same diagnosis, you might see six kids in a day and they all have autism. And you're like, oh, right, you know, I could write a session plan for each kid and it's exactly the same. But there's no cookie cutter approach in OT. There's no one size fits all. So even though you think you might have it all figured out, I think being vulnerable and asking why and going, oh, you know, I'm not sure, what are your thoughts? Um, I think there's power and strength in that, in that yeah. vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. And like at the end of the day, you are marked on, we're evaluated on placement um, for our performance and you are marked on um, if you've shown initiative and asked why and showed that, yeah, you know, trying to learn and that you're interested. Um, and, you know, even if you get a placement that you're not particularly interested in, you still need to be learning and asking why, because what you learn in that placement is probably still going to be applicable for your next placement. Um, and yeah, I do, I do unfortunately know students that haven't passed their placements because they haven't shown that initiative. So that's really important to do in placement. Really? Wow. So, so tell me then about what you're marked on. Do you know off the top of your head? Um, oh, haven't done it for a while. It's been a year, but it's called the SPEF. That's what we use at our university. So you're marked on your technical and your non-technical skills. So you're marked on your communication. Um, you know, if you're showing up to work on time, uh, you're showing if you're uh, marked on if you're showing initiative. Um, and then your performance skills. So you're marked on each year, the kind of um, 
expectations are a bit different. Um, but I know in fourth year, you're pretty much expected to be able to take on your own caseload and perf- start performing those assessments and, um, you know, having the clients on your own. Um, so, yeah, you're marked on your performance. Yeah. Does that, does that scare you? Like, does that, do you feel confident enough and have some level of competence to do that? Like, where are your thoughts at with that? I, I think like, because I am a mature age student, I naturally, I feel maybe that maybe when I was, you know, 22 or something, I might not have had the confidence. Um, But now I feel like I do have the confidence to go and strike a conversation with a patient or go and do things on my own. Um, I am nervous, especially I haven't got my um, placement allocations yet. So I'm nervous that I'll be put in an area that I'm not familiar with, or maybe an area that I'm not passionate about that I don't, you know, have much knowledge on. Um, But at the end of the day, if you I feel that if you're really showing that you are really trying and you're jumping at your supervisor's opportunities to go complete um, assessments and talk to a client and you are really trying, then I think I think I'll I think I'll be fine. Mm. <laughs> I, am, I am nervous, but I think I'll be okay. <laughs> what are, like in terms of stress and I'm sure stress can get the better of you at some times. Not you, just I I mean students in general and getting through the days and the weeks and the placements and the assessments and the assignments and the tests and all the things that come with being a student. How do you, and, and too, like for yourself, you've got a family, you've got a daughter. Mm. How do you manage stress? I think I've had to become really good at just prioritising. Um, it's taken me a really long time to learn how to prioritise, you know, the tasks that I have to do every day. Um, but some days, you know, I just have to accept the fact that my washing isn't going to get folded and that I need to go for a walk with my friend. And that's just a priority for that day. Um, so I usually try to categorize what I need to do every day um, into sort of two categories. So I have urgent and important, you know, like assessments, pre-readings, a class to go to. And then there's um, important, but not urgent. Um so I try to categorise every morning. I'm pretty good at doing it um, mentally now. I don't have to write things down. But I just have a, you know, five minutes while I'm having my coffee in the morning just to have a think about what really needs to be done today. You know, there's no point stressing about the laundry or, you know, vacuuming my rug or something. You know what I mean? Um, I've had to just learn just that's just going to have to happen tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that that really cuts down on my to-do list for the day. Um, and then I feel a lot less stressed. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think priorities and and that is something that we're good at as OTs, like really breaking it down and working out what's the most important thing that I need to do right now. Yeah. Um, and I do that as well. I, I usually do it the night before. So my routine is writing down the night before all kind of all my things I need to do and then, again, sort of highlighting the most important things that I want to get done the next day. And if I get anything else done, it's a bonus. Bonus, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So I find that really helps manage mm. my stress when I'm mm. overwhelmed. Yeah. Mm. And I love that you sort of incorporated that mental health part in it. Like, you know, it's okay if I go for a walk. And I don't fold the washing today. You know, sometimes I need to do something for me. That self-care component of the pie and the puzzle that we work on, I think think sometimes as OTs we, we are so giving and we help other people so much with their lives and we will 
definitely look at their self-care and how they're managing it and what their needs are. But very rarely do we kind of look at ourselves and go, you know what, I need that same care for myself. I need to look at my self-care. I need to look after my well-being. Um, And that's the important part right now in my life. Yeah, we're all taught about, you know, how to achieve occupational balance with our clients, um, but so often neglect ourselves. Yeah, very true. Mm. So before we wrap it up, how are you feeling? Like as we wrap up your, as you're wrapping up your degree and you're ready to embark on this new adventure as an occupational therapist, what are your feelings? What are your thoughts? And where are you headed? I'm definitely ready. I'm very ready to not be a student. Um, It's so (laughs) interesting, obviously, navigating, you know, timetables and classes and assignments and studying late at night and pre-readings. I'm so ready for the routine of just being able to go to work. Well, I think you've Um, done a few more years than most people too. (laughs) Yes, yeah, I'm definitely a little bit over it. Um, But I'm a little bit nervous about obviously closing that theory to practice gap. There's obviously a huge gap as a new grad. You know, we're taught so much at uni, but learning how to apply that as an occupational therapist is just a completely different story. I feel I know so many of the OT models and I've learned about the assessments and interventions and I've read so much about it, but actually doing it is something that I'm a little bit nervous about. Um, Yeah, but I'm hoping that once I've graduated, I can move on. I'm really hoping to be a paediatric OT. Um, I've wanted to be that from day dot, really. I've really never even looked at any other areas of occupational therapy. They just don't interest me. Um, Yeah, very ready. Very ready to get my placement over with and enter the real world because the possibilities are endless. I'm so excited to see where my career is going to take me. Mm. Yeah, well, I can... I can tell it's going to take you far. You have so much passion and motivation and enthusiasm and drive and willingness to learn. Um, You're going to go far. Thank you. Yeah. And and I I think showing that too, you know, it really helps. You know, people feel that energy. So when you rock up to a placement or you rock up to your first day at work is just showing that enthusiasm and that, yeah, I'm here and I'm willing and I'm I'm ready to learn. Um, Yeah, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And so... When you say paediatrics, do you mean private practice? Is this? Yes. Yeah, I, I really do have a passion for developmental disabilities. Um, that's where I'm working at the moment. And I am so interested in it. And I love it. I love every day that I go to work. I feel like by the end of the day, my cheeks are hurting. <laughs> I, I'm smiling all day. Like I, I just love it. Yeah. So I'm really hoping private practice. But who knows? As you said, you just don't know Yeah. where it's going to and- take yeah, and I remember at the start of the conversation that you said that your brother has autism, he's on this spectrum. Yeah. Is this is this a reason that sort of propelled you to work in this space? Um, I think it's an underlying reason. Um, he he didn't have an OT when he was younger. I think back in his, like in his early 20s now, OTs weren't really, um, you know, they were around but weren't as accessible. My mum had absolutely no idea what an OT was. Um, he did access speech. Uh, therapy and I growing up I actually did want to be a speech therapist but when I was younger I had a lisp (laughs) so I was too self-conscious to become a speech pathologist because I thought if I have a lisp I can't become a speech pathologist Um, but yeah I think you know I saw the difference that the speech pathologist made in my brother's life he went from almost being non-verbal to now he's he's thriving now 
Um, and I thought I saw how much my mum and dad valued that. And I really just have a desire to make that impact on other people's lives. Mm, I love that. I love yeah. that. And I think, yeah, the key word there is impact. How can we make an impact? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All righty. Well, let's head to the three rapid fire questions. Number one, in one sentence, here you go. Here's your opportunity to wrap it all up and bring it home. How do you describe OT? Oh, okay. I would describe it as helping people of all ages engage in their desired everyday tasks or activities. Love it. Brilliant. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> Number two, what's one healthy lifestyle habit listeners can implement today? Very cliche, but drinking water during the day. There's so many benefits to drinking water. And I know if I'm not drinking enough water, I feel really bad. <laughs> so drinking enough water during the day. Thank you for that reminder because it's something that I do often forget <laughs> when life is busy. <laughs> Number three, if you could only offer one piece of advice to OTs or OT students or the OT community, what would it be? I would say just to remember that making mistakes means that you are trying and mistakes are a really, really great learning opportunity. Yes. And we're always making mistakes. It happens forever. It's a lifelong journey. It's an yeah. evolution. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. Make mistakes. <laughs> yes. So tell us, Alaska, how can everyone connect with you? How can we find you? Learn more about what you're doing. Easiest place to find me is definitely Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Um, so at Alaska underscore OT. Um, I love hearing from everyone. So if anyone wants to chat or I've even had people send me through, you know, their little assignments for some feedback and things like that, I'm always on there and accessible. So <laughs> be careful what you wish for. You might get a thousand <laughs> assignments come your way. Yes, no, preferably not, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Alaska. Much appreciated. Learnt heaps and good luck with the rest of your journey. Thank you for having me. See ya. That's it, guys. I hope this episode resonated with you. But more importantly, I hope it inspires you to take action. If you hang out over on Instagram, come over and say hi. Let's connect. I'm at Leanne Chris. And we'd absolutely love your radiant energy in our Facebook group family. You can find us simply by searching the OT Lifestyle Movement in Facebook. If you love this episode, I'd be super grateful if you shared it. You can take a screenshot right now and share it on Instagram or Facebook so we can connect with more amazing, open-minded OTs from around the world. And if you are sharing it on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Rhiannon and Chris so I can share it on my platforms as well. The more we share the OT lifestyle movement, the more we can create a ripple effect. And if you do love the podcast, please give us a five-star review so we can be found more easily. So that's it, guys. Go out, create the epic change that you seek in the world, one occupation at a time. Carpe diem, guys.